Um, before I get started, just want to give a couple quick shout outs. Uh, the first one is shout out to Brock and the praise team. That worship set was fire. Um, I love the flowy kind of worship where you kind of just go into the next chorus and then go into the next chorus and then go into the bridge and then sing a different chorus from a different song from a different bridge. And you just keep going deeper. And I, I love it because it's like an onion because the more layers you peel, the more you cry. So I kind of like that style of worship. Um, so thank you guys, worship team, for doing that. And the second shout-out I want to give uh, really quick, and this is going to tie into the first shout-out. The second shout-out is um, to Jeremy and Angela, my brother and sister-in-law. Uh, shout-out to them for having two really cute kids. I love being an uncle because when I'm done and tired, I can give them back. And we did that yesterday, so just a quick shout-out to them. The reason why they tie in together is because um, I, my body responds really differently over the weekend when I know I have to preach. Um, I just get like really weird. Just my body starts feeling like wants to give me a headache, like on Saturday right before, and um, I get really nervous about it. And today during worship, I had like a moment where with God, and um, it was really similar to uh, what I was doing yesterday, uh, hanging out with my nieces. Uh, Arrow is almost a year old. I think she's about nine, ten months old, and she's getting to the age. Parents know this at about 10 months where they start grabbing everything and they start moving around and like they want to try to move to different places and like you can like take your eyes off of them for 15 seconds but if you do you don't know where they're going to go um, and so I was hanging out with Arrow hanging out but more like babysitting but I, I had Arrow in my hands and I was just like kind of like looking at her and I was like man she's so cute but she wouldn't stop squirming like she wanted to go around she wanted to get off my arms and like roam free um, and I'm like, you're not going to go anywhere. Just like sit still, like, just let me hold you for a little bit. Right. Like, just like, give me like 30 seconds where I can just like look at you and like appreciate this moment before you go off and run around and do whatever crazy, cute baby things you do. Um, and I kind of felt that during worship, I felt like as we were going deeper into the presence of God, like I felt like, you know, like all of the things I need to do, like, God, I need to adore you. I need to prepare like I need to get like my sermon ready for you and I felt like I was saying like just like sit still for 30 seconds let me just hold you for a little bit you know and I think we as a church we get so operationally minded we're always looking ahead to the next responsibility um, worship team tech team guys you guys are constantly on the move during Sunday service and I, I just felt like there was a grace during worship where we could just kind of sit still in his arms and I think the, the good Christian duty, right, the responsible Christian thing as adults is to lead well, worship well, adore God well, and sometimes God just wants us to sit still, stop moving around. You know, just like, let me hold you for 30 seconds. Don't move around. Just let me hold you for a little bit, and then I'll let you do whatever things you want to do, like cute things that children want to do, but just for 30 seconds, just sit with me. And so I did that. Um, so thank you, worship team. That was quite the enjoyable time. Um, and the challenge for you guys, church, is, you know, we get busy. We get tied up in a lot of different things. But it's really important for us to just let God hold us, to be his children. Just be cute. Like, let him love on us, you know. Um, and this is going to tie into the message. So uh, I'll jump into it. But just wanted to preface with those two things. Um, today's message is going to be called The Way. Uh, I know there's, like, the huge buzz right now about the Mandalorian. So when I 
typed in Google image search the way. There were all these Mandalorian things about this is the way. I don't know what reference that is. I'm not a huge Star Wars guy. I tried to watch it. I gave it an honest shot. I don't like it. I don't get it. Like, I would much rather... No, not Star Trek. <laughs> I'm sorry. Like, I, for, I'm a Batman guy through and through. Like, I can watch the Batman stuff, like, over and over. But Mandalorian, I don't get it. Uh, but this sermon title has nothing to do with this is the way. It is just the way. Um, the way, the truth, and the light. His name is Jesus, and we'll jump into it. Um, but before we do that, I wanted to kind of recap what we talked about during PPP. I thought that was a really, really special week for me praying into 2021. Um, I was talking about this with my wife, Hannah, and uh, we were talking about, like, man, like, 2020, everyone's so excited to get out of 2020, and uh, we were kind of recounting all of the things, and we were talking about how we felt like 2020 was a year where God was kind of tearing things down that wasn't supposed to be there, and we were looking into 2021, and uh, we both agree, we feel like 2021, and it's already been like this, like, it's not a surprise to any of us, but we really felt like 2021 at least the first half, who knows what the second half has in store for us. But I, I really feel like we're in a season of refinement as the body of Christ. Like we are really, really being refined. Uh, I'll go into that a little bit deeper, but um, we are in a place where the church needs to be purified. Uh, we are in a church, well, we are in a place where the church needs to be consecrated. And I think uh, we're so focused on being quarantined that I think a lot of us have forgotten that we need to be consecrated. Like, they're not the same thing. Just because you're not in the world doesn't mean you're being set apart for the kingdom. But we all need to be consecrated in order to do the work. Um, so I feel like that's kind of the place that we're in. Uh, I also wanted to uh, talk about what Irene said in one of the PPP sessions. I thought it was really good, and I just wanted to touch on that a little bit. Luke 15, she mentioned the parable of the lost coin. Um, and she was giving an analogy of what it was like to lose something and how happy she was to celebrate with it. But uh, I wanted to touch on some of the things to get there, right? In order to retrieve the lost coin, the woman in the parable had to do three things. The first is light a lamp, sweep the house, and then to search carefully. Those are the three verbs and the actions that the woman had to do to find the lost coin. And you light a lamp. Oh, thanks, tech guys. I always forget to change the slides. So thank you guys. Shout out to you guys. Um, but you light a lamp because it's dark. You need a lamp. You need to light something to, to look in the areas that you would never normally look at. These are the dark areas where you don't know what's going to be there. It could be there. There could be lots of other things. I don't do spiders. Okay, I can do a lot of different things, but spiders, I don't want to see them. Like If I see them, I'm terrified for a little bit. And then, you know, I have to put on my big boy pants and take them out. But that's what we do when we light the lamp. We look in areas where we haven't seen things there for a little while. Right? Uh, I feel like we're in the place of doing that. And then we sweep the house. We remove all of the things that don't belong inside of the house. We take them out. We take out the trash. I, I am not good at deep cleaning. The first time I tried doing deep cleaning in, like, college, uh, as a college student, like, I was gagging constantly because it was just really hard. And a lot of you guys know that deep cleaning your house is a lot of work, right? Like, it's kind of a workout. If you're doing it for, like, two hours and you're, like, really scrubbing the thing, it takes a lot out of you. It's a lot of work to clean that area, right? Uh, in the same way, I kind of feel like God's doing that. He's doing a deep clean in the church. Um, and then we search carefully to find the thing that was missing. 
we search carefully and look for the treasure. And in a lot of ways, I feel like that's what's going on. It's a year of refining and consecration because we are finding the treasure. There's something that God is looking for deep within our hearts. I believe that we are doing that in ourselves. We're looking really carefully at our nation. We're looking carefully at ourselves, at the church. And we are doing a deep clean right now in our nation, in the church, and in our hearts. And there is something, and it's not just cleaning for the sake of cleaning. There's something that I believe God is looking for, and it's a treasure that we forgot about. A lot of times we forget that there's a special thing, like, you know, God designed us with a special thing in our hearts, like a calling or a special gift that I think sometimes we forget about. I think God wants to extract that and bring that back out again. And that's, that's what I believe about this season. So, um, yeah, so I believe that's where we're at. Uh, today's text, we're going to dive right into it, is Acts chapter 9. We're going to go a little bit deep into this text. Acts chapter 9, verses 1 through 2, it says, But Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues at Damascus so that if he found any belonging to the way, men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. Okay, so uh, Saul, everybody knows who Saul is. He was persecuting the church. He was the one who was giving approval of a lot of Christians' deaths early on, including Stephen, right, who was uh, preaching the gospel, and there were people who were living radically for the Lord, and Saul was the guy who was persecuting those people. And I love this version of the text because it says he found, or he was looking for anyone who was belonging to the way. The way, the, the way that they were called. They were called disciples before they were called Christians. They were called the way before they were called the church. Right? There was no confusion about who belonged to the way. And yet in this year, I think we have found that there are so many different brands and versions of Christianity. It's hard to decipher what people stand for. There are people who want us to draw a line in the sand and say, we stand for this, but that church will stand for that. Right? We have division in our own churches. We have denominations. We have different teachers that we want to follow. There are different pastors now that we don't want to follow. We're unfollowing and liking a bunch of people on Instagram. But it's really not that complicated. We are called to be part of the way. There's really one way, and his name is Jesus. Right? It doesn't matter where we draw the line in different sands. The, the, the mark of a follower is that we are following Jesus. In such a way that the world will look at us and say they belong to the way. Not so much, oh, they belong to the Catholic Church or they belong to the Charismatic Church. We belong to Jesus, period. That's it. And that's what we want people to see in our lives, that we belong to a way. Not a church, not a denomination, not to Pastor Q and Pastor Mimi, not to so-and-so, like, Bethel Church, we're a little bit more Bethel than IHOP. We're a little bit more Matt Chandler than Francis Chan. Like, all of these things don't matter. Do we belong to Jesus? That's the question that we need to ask for ourselves today. Uh, the other interesting thing about this is that it says that Paul went to the high priest and asked for permission to go find these people. And the reason why Paul did that was because the Roman jurisdiction, they lived in Rome and in Israel, right? Specifically, Paul was targeting Jews belonging to the way in Israel, 
right? But there were Jews part of the diaspora group who weren't a part of Israel, who were outside of that jurisdiction, which meant in Roman law, there was a legality to religion, basically meaning if you belonged to a religion that we authorized, that the Roman Empire acknowledged, there were certain rights that protected you. And Saul was going to the, the officials and presenting this case that they may be outside of your jurisdiction, but they still belong in our jurisdiction, which is the Jewish way. A quick example of that is um, I believe that we as minorities um, some of us as different parts of different cultures. I, I can't speak for every culture, but I've heard this to be true from my friends. But uh, for Korean people, for me especially, uh, I grew up where if there was any Korean adult, they had the right to tell me what was right and what was wrong, right? I remember I accidentally made uh, one of my friends cry in fifth grade, and their grandma came, and she started yelling at me, and I started crying, and I felt bad, right? But apparently, that's legal, like, Apparently, in our culture, that's okay. And so now, when we go to different places, and uh, we actually experienced this, my wife and I, we went to USPS and we taped the uh, barcode in a way where it wasn't like legible, it couldn't scan it, and the cashier was also Asian American, and she started telling us how we should pack our packages. Next time, do it this way. And at first, I was like, you can't tell me what to do. Right? But then I remembered, she loves us. That's why she's saying it, right? It's almost a kind of love language where in uh, Korean-American culture or maybe Asian-American culture, maybe in your culture, if someone else's mama or data tells you what to do, it's because they love you, right? And it's the way that they love treating people like family. So we kind of walked away and uh, we understood it as, oh, they love us. They're treating us like they would their children, right? And that's the same thing with Saul here, he's saying that they belong to, quote-unquote, maybe they belong to the Jewish sect, but because they're Messianic Jews or people who are Jewish who believe in Christ, they still fall under our jurisdiction. So he's asking for permission to bring these people back into Jerusalem so that they can put them on trial, right? And at that time, there was a little bit of confusion of uh, the Messianic Jewish people who were part of the way. Do they belong to the Jewish religion or do they not? If they do, do they get those rights or do they not? And Saul was obviously saying they are not part of the Jewish way. And Saul was zealous for this Jewish movement and didn't really have uh, any part of what was going on there. I want to quote David Stern. He says this, The way is a claim to universal validity for Yeshua's doctrine and practice. That's how we characterize the way, the early church, I'll repeat it. The way is a claim to universal validity for Yeshua's doctrine and practice. Let's go on to the next part of chapter 9. Now, as he went on his way, he approached Damascus, and suddenly a light from heaven shone around him, and falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? So a couple things here. Uh, I'll tie it up with a story. The Choi family, my wife and I, and Elisa, uh, my sister-in-law, Hannah's younger sister, we play a game called Settlers of Catan. Some of you guys may very, be very aware of it. Um, we don't play for fun. We play to win because winning is fun, right? Like, we don't play that, oh, I'll help you out a little bit. No, like, when we're playing, we're playing to win, okay? Um, that's the only reason why it's fun. <laughs> Once you win, 
It's fun, okay? And that's how we play. Um, we get two into it, and it's really funny because Abby and Jeff came uh, a week ago, and we were playing Catan, and it was getting a little bit feisty, and then the next morning, Jeff sent me a video about the owner or the creator of Settlers of Catan. And I was listening to that interview, and he said something that was comical to me. The owner of this game said he wanted to create a game that would be peaceful and fun for friends. And the first thought in my mind was, this guy has never played his own game. Like, he has no idea how unpeaceful it can get, right? We were playing this game, and my wife and I, we call each other different names. We call each other pet names and things like that. Um, the word of choice that we use is babe, B-A-B-E. It's just casual. It's like, babe, babe. Like, when, when I hear her say babe, I know that's me, okay? Uh, single people, one day you will get a pet name too. Uh, we'll pray for you, but... For, for us, this is how we reference each other. This is how we call each other. And something really strange happened while we were playing Katan. Okay? She didn't call me babe. She called me baby. B-A-B-Y. Okay? Now, the last time I was called a baby was when I was a literal baby, when I was crying like a baby, when I was complaining like a baby, or when I was playing sports. Right? For whatever reason, when guys play sports, and they do something good. They go, way to go, baby, right? So um, my wife called me baby, and it did something in my heart. Like, very different from when she calls me babe. Like, it felt good. Like, it felt really warm and fuzzy inside, and I was like, I kind of like that. So I told her afterwards, I was like, can you call me baby more? I really like that. It gave me the warm and fuzzies, right? The only other time I feel that way is when she actually calls me by my first name, Jason. Like, we don't really call each other by our first name. We call each other by pet names. And I like baby, okay? I like it. And I want to be called that from her. Everyone else, please don't call me that. But if my wife calls me that, I'm going to feel good, okay? The reason why I bring that up is because there are certain words of intimacy that are only meant for each other. And I think I've referenced this in the past at Hope Church before, but I want to talk about it again. In Jewish context and in Jewish religion, you would only call someone's name twice if you are in a very intimate relationship with them. That is the only reason why you will call someone's name twice. And so Saul, on the road to persecuting Jesus and the road to persecuting Christ and the church, that's when God decides to encounter him with his pet name, the way that he would reference someone as if he knew him intimately and loved him extravagantly and says, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And that, I believe, is what caught Saul off guard for the first time. And it's funny because Jesus says, why are you persecuting me, right? Saul wasn't really persecuting Jesus. He was persecuting the church. So why is it that the first encounter of deep intimacy, Jesus looks at Saul and says, why are you persecuting me? And the reason for that is uh, Matthew chapter 23, verse 31 through 46. I'm jumping around a little bit. There's a really well-known verse there where uh, on the last day of judgment, the people are standing before God and they're saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you a drink? And when did we see you a stranger and welcome you or naked and clothe you? And when did we see you sick or in prison to visit you? And Jesus' response is this, truly I say to you, as you did it to one of the, the least of my brothers, you did it to me. 
So what Jesus is saying is what you do to the church, what you do to my people is deeply personal to me. And so when Jesus confronts Saul, he's saying, you're not persecuting just these people. You're persecuting me. You're persecuting the Lord God Almighty, the very person you are zealous for. You are persecuting me. Okay? And uh, verse 5, it's, it says this. Saul responds and says, who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. So Saul's response here indicates he didn't know Jesus. He didn't know God. He was zealous for God, zealous for the things of God, and did not know God. And I love what Bob Hartley says, and this is actually true in the the condition that we're in in this nation. I love what Bob says. He says this, zeal without love is toxic. And we live in a day and age where zeal can overcome a lot of different things and cause a lot of different noise and confusion, but zeal without love is toxic. Let's keep going. Verse 6, it says this. I'm going to read through this chunk and we'll talk about it. But rise and enter the city. You will be told what you are to do. So Paul, after encountering Jesus, is unable to see. Uh, In verse 10, it says that there was a disciple at Damascus named Ananias. And the Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias. And he said, here I am, Lord. And the Lord said to him, Rise and go to the street called Straight, and at the house of Judas look for a man of Tarsus named Saul, for behold, he is praying, and he has seen a vision. He has seen in a vision a man named Ananias come in and lay hands on him so that he may regain his sight. And this is Ananias' response. He answered, Lord, I've heard many about this man, how much evil he has done to your saints at Jerusalem. And here he has the authority from the chief priests to bind all who call on your name. I love this. Imagine you're in your quiet time. and You're spending time with the Lord. You're reading the Bible. You have worship music going on in the background, right? And God tells you, hey, you know the person that's killing all of the church and destroying all of the Christian believers? I want you to go to him and pray. Pray for him. And Ananias' response is legitimate, right? Like, Lord, this is the same guy that's killing everyone. Like, are you sure this is the guy you want me to go to? And Jesus says this in verse, uh, let's see, in verse 15. But the Lord said to him, go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and the kings and the children of Israel. For I will show him how much he has to suffer for the sake of my name. And he obeyed. And he addressed Saul as soon as he got there by brother Saul. I love that because that's another way of introducing yourself to the person who's killing and uh, persecuting the church with an intimate word, brother Saul. I'm calling you a part of my family before he knows anything about him. The only thing he knows about him is that he's persecuting the church and he identifies with him as his brother off of a word of the Lord. God did not demand uncomprehensible obedience. But he was willing to work things out with Ananias. He was willing to talk to him. Ananias had some questions about it, and God was willing to explain to him why and how he was chosen for the Lord, and that's all it took for Ananias to go and identify with him as a brother. 
Um, I believe, church, we are in a unique season where last year, we started last year as Hope Church. The leadership went through uh, the study material letters to the church, which was very provoking, which was very self-reflective about how we do church, and written in such a way where I, I think at the end of it, at least for me, it really challenged me in the sense that I think we need to rethink church. I think we need to really go after these people who have never been churched. And if we are willing to do that, if that is a yes in your heart, and this is the part that scares me, we may need to approach these souls. We may need to welcome these souls who have been nothing but violent towards the church and welcome them into our lives and call them family and call them brother and see what God does with it. Are we really ready for that? Uh, the other thing that Mike Brown said, I love what Mike Brown said, that it's for them it's a year of sacrificial love. Sacrificial love for people who don't know anything about the gospel. It's challenging. It's provoking. But God will work with us. God will address some areas of fear in our hearts, and he'll lead us there. So what? So we are in a time where the church is being redefined. I've had to really think and reflect on this for a really long time about where we're headed as a church, about where I'm headed as a pastor. The thing that really stands out to me is that 2020 was a year where we were redefining the church in so many different facets. Um, we were being redefined by different leaders even. We were being redefined by uh, some of the ministry tragedies that we've heard about over the past year. We've been redefined by a lot of the rioting, right? We've been redefined in a lot of ways. So um, this is what God is doing. We are being re-identified, and we need to be redefined and re-identified in the church. Let's go to the next slide. Sorry, guys. I'm jumping around a little bit. We are not to be identified by denomination, church, or pastor. We are not to be defined by the behaviors of others, whether it's good or bad. Right? We are, as a church, we should not be shrinking back because we're seeing all of these crazy things happen with different leaders. A lot of uh, things that, are, that the world will say like, oh, this is what the church stands for. I don't want anything to do with the church. Just because those things are happening does not mean we identify with that. We need to be just as bold and courageous. We also need to not be identified with the successes of different ministries because those things don't really have anything to do with us. We are not to be defined by our past mistakes or our past achievements. We are not to be defined by some of the successes and failures that we've experienced over the past few years. But we are called to be identified with the way. And here are some uh, bullet points. The way is a person. And the way to be identified with the way is to be intimate with Christ. It, it all starts with intimacy with Christ. From intimacy, it, start, it goes into wholehearted obedience. This is another sermon for another time, but I just want to touch on it. But God is looking for our whole hearts. 
I remember growing up, and that was like the big thing in youth group. I haven't really heard much about it lately, but God is looking for our wholehearted obedience. There's a, man, I shouldn't, uh, real quick, before we go any further, there's a passage that I love. Keith Green sings about it. Uh, There's a passage that says, to obey is better than sacrifice, right? To obey the word of the Lord is better than sacrifice. And here's what that means to me. As a child, growing up with my parents, I feel like my parents will ask me to do this one thing, right? Just, can you do this one thing? And then hours later, I completely forgot about it. And my parents are coming home soon. So instead of doing the thing that they asked me to do because it's too late, right? Maybe it's like, put the dishes in the dishwasher before I come home and spin it. I'm like, oh, I totally forgot about it. She's coming home in five minutes. So instead of obeying that, I'm going to do a quick sacrifice and mop the entire kitchen, right? And then I'm going to clean my own room. I'm going to do all of these things. And my parents come home and they're like, what are you doing? I'm like, oh, I'm cleaning everything else. My mom's like, but, but I asked you to do the dishes. And I think in a lot of ways we do that. And I, I do that for myself, okay? I'm not exegeting this text or anything like that. I'm not saying this is like perfect theology. But for me, I have a tendency when I miss the word of the Lord and I feel guilty about it, I'll try to make it up by sacrificing all of these different things. God just wants wholehearted obedience. That's what he's looking for. He's looking for our whole hearts. Here's another attribute of uh, walking in the way. And I know um, this is a little bit of a touchy subject right now. Uh, Miracles, signs, and wonders. The reason why it's a little bit touchy right now is because a lot of you guys probably know that there have been a lot of prophetic words about what this presidential election was going to look like. There have been a lot of prophetic words over the past year about so-and-so is going to be touched or this person's going to get healed, right? And we're believing for healing. We're believing for these outcomes. We're at the end and we're entering into 2021 where we're kind of scratching our heads going, these people were wrong, right? Or maybe they weren't wrong or maybe what's going on and we're like trying to recollect our thoughts. Like, is it really God's word? Is it his heart? Like, we're in this place right now as a church where I believe we are trying to sort through a lot of those things Regardless of what happens, regardless of what people say, I cannot deny the fact that the early church was marked with miracle signs and wonders. Which means, if 100,000 people more still get it wrong, and 200,000 people more that I pray for healing don't get healed, that doesn't change the fact that this was a mark of the early church. Which means we need to still contend for it. We still need to believe that these were the markings of the church. And therefore, this applies to us. There's a lot to sort through right now. I'll be the first to admit it. But we don't throw this entire section out of the Bible and dismiss it as it no longer applies to us. It's not a buffet. We we don't pick and choose what we want in the Bible. We need to still honor that this is the word of God and it still applies to us, even if our natural eyes don't see it. Amen? And the last thing is this. The way of the early church was marked by sacrificial generosity and hospitality. Sacrificial generosity and hospitality. I used to be better at this when I was a single person. Now that I'm married, I'm like, I think twice about things. And I can't imagine, like, if I have kids, I'll probably think about it like four more times before I do something out of sacrificial generosity or radical hospitality for someone else. Um, I want to talk about this really quick. 
Back in 2011 and 2012, there was a social unrest movement kind of thing that entered into Washington, D.C. If you could show the image up there. A lot of you guys who are older will recognize this. Anyone who's college and beyond, this may be nothing but thoughts that never cross your mind. But we lived through this period in 2011, 2012 that was called Occupy Wall Street, Occupy All Streets which basically meant that they had different signs saying that we were the 99%, right? And the reason why this movement was birthed was because there were people who were protesting against budget cuts in different areas of the world or different areas of the government. There were tuition hikes in universities and that there were staff cutbacks during the recession of 2008. So this protest was a way of people saying that this is unjust. Like the, the social and the f fiscal distribution in America is not right, right? And so there was like this whole uh, uh, civil protest against Wall Street, against different corporate firms and the structures of different things. I'm missing a lot of things, so uh, don't quote me on anything, do your own research, but uh, we lived through that period, okay? Um, and that started because of the recession in 2008. The housing market crashed in 2008. And that's a really, really long time. Some of you guys, I don't know if you guys remember where 2008 was on your map um, in, in your timeline, so let me jog your memory really quick. In 2008, I was a junior in college. Man, I just dated myself. That's really sad. I'm sorry. But in 2008, I was a junior in college, and I had just gotten saved, like encountered the love of God for the first time. In 2008, my wife was 16 years old. In 2008, that was a year where George Bush, George W. Bush, transitioned his power as presidency to Barack Obama. That was the first year of Barack Obama's presidency. In 2008, Groupon just started. How many of you guys remember that? Instagram was not around until 2010. Uber was not around until 2009. And in 2008, Justin Bieber looked like this. He was 15 years old, and he had just signed with Braun and Usher. That, ladies and gentlemen, is how far away 2008 was from us, okay? Why do I bring this up? In 2011 and 2012, uh, during the Occupy Streets movement, the social unrest, um, I was in seminary trying to figure out, like, how I wanted to live for the Lord. I was like, do I really want to keep going down this road of seminary? Do I want to do missions a little bit? What do I want to do with my time? And I decided to do a little bit of missions with Wanwam. And when I got back from Circuit Riders, uh, shout out to Kona, Hawaii, but I had just finished training in Circuit Riders. I had come back from Alaska and just kind of was like a wild mess. There's no other way to say it. I was just kind of crazy. There were a few circuits that were not connected in my brain, and I came back, and I was like, we need to love these people. We need to, like, pray for these people. Uh, it was, like, in December, so it was really, really cold. Uh, that was back in the day when those big, puffy marshmallow jackets were still in fashion, so I took some of my friends. Uh, we went out to Washington, D.C., and we were like, let's just 
pray for people. Let's just talk to people. Let's see what happens. And it's freezing cold. And during this protest, people have tents set up with like different heaters running on in the middle of different parks in Washington, D.C. And there were like crazy people. There were like people who were like really passionate about seeing Wall Street transformed and all of these things. And it was wild. And I remember like trying to apply everything I learned in Huawei. I'm like, let's just do it in DC. And I remember hitting brick roads like left and right. Like, hey, can I pray for you? They're like, no. Okay. Hey, can I pray for you? No. And I was like, all right, this isn't working. Let's, let's go into the prophetic mode and like let's do words of knowledge. Hey, do you know a person named Sarah? No. All right, see ya. Like Jesus loves you. I don't know what to do. We're like going into like different um, retail stores at the time too. <sighs> we were so young. We didn't know any better. We went into retail stores to pray for people, and we got a prophetic word right. And then I think the manager came out and was like, you guys aren't shopping here. You need to leave. And we're like, okay. So we walk out, and we did this for like an hour, hour and a half, and we're like, yeah, I think we're done. <laughs> like, we didn't, we had like one conversation with one person who was like a really peaceful man during this entire protest. We, we got a chance to pray for him, and we were like, yeah, I think we're done. Like, this was good enough. Let's, it's cold. Let's go back home. And so um, we go back, we're going to our cars, and we go to this park, and uh, we're chatting. And one of my friends, I didn't even know he left us, but he was coming back towards us. He was like, hey, uh, someone needs us. I was like, what do you mean someone needs us? Um, mind you, it's about 23, 24 degrees outside. It's really cold. And then he was explaining how there was a person who, a homeless person, who stays at that park, um, he had just gotten attacked by a random stranger. He's bloodied, he's bruised, and they took his jacket and took his stuff and left. And I was like, what? Like, we were just about ready to like tie things up and go home. And we hear about this and we're like, okay, well, like, let's get some more information about him. He doesn't speak English very well. It was very broken English. And so we were like, well, I mean, we can't leave him out here. Like, we got to do something. But he was very, he smelled like alcohol profusely. So we were thinking about different things in the spur of the moment. I had no money. I didn't know what to do. I was like a seminary missionary student. Um, we had one friend who was uh, doing well in his career. So we banked on him. We were like, hey, let's put him in a hotel room. <laughs> with your money. <laughs> and so he, he was incredibly gracious and there was like no question about it. So uh, I believe it was a Hilton, some hotel right across the street. We took him up there and we, we put him into a hotel room. And this is where it got a little like funny and funky at the same time. We're trying to sort through this. Like we don't know what to do, okay? <laughs> And so my friend just gets like a towel from the hotel and he's like trying to clean him up, but there's like a lot of blood. And so the, the white towel looks like a murder scene. And we're like, this isn't good. Like we got to do something else. And so um, two of my friends, there were four of us. So two of my friends decide, okay, we'll go to this pharmacy. We'll pick up some hydrogen peroxide, some bandaging kits. We'll try to, you know, put them back together. We'll do whatever we can. And then me and my other friend, we're like, okay, we'll stay around. And so we're like, okay. So they go out, um, and we decide to help him get comfortable, so we take off his shoes. And that smell was really bad. <laughs> like, the fragrance filled the room in a not good way. 
and it was really bad. <laughs> like, it, it was really bad. I don't think you guys understand, like, how bad it was. And for a second, we were laughing. We were like, man, this is really, like, humbling. Like, we want to serve Jesus, and we can barely, like, stand the scent of his feet. And, you know, we feel bad a little bit. Like, he's, he's sleeping. He's trying to get some rest, and we're ding-dongs. We don't know what's going on. And so we're smelling this. We're laughing about it a little bit. And then it hits me like a ton of bricks. And I, I, I remember Jesus reminding me of the passage that I just read for you guys. Whatever you do for the least of these, you do for me. So I shared it with my friend, and we just started weeping. The guy was drunk, sleeping in the bed, and we were weeping. And we were like, man, like, we're terrible at this. <laughs> we have no idea what we're doing. And yet Jesus is reminding us out of his humility that we're ministering unto Jesus by just taking care of this one person. And we are weeping. We're like, man, what a humble God. Like, I can't believe Jesus would actually say that we're taking care of him just because we're taking care of this person. So we get encountered and wrecked by the Lord. They come back up and they do their bandaging thing. We leave the place and we're filled in our hearts, and we're like, man, we just encountered Jesus in such a profound way. Like, we were trying to help other people, and Jesus is the one filling our own hearts by this. We come back to the hotel room, and he's gone, and we have no idea where he went. Like, it was like 9 in the morning. We have never heard from him since then. The reason why I share this is I don't like sharing these kinds of stories, but I felt like it was appropriate because that was such a profound encounter and marking in my life. We're not playing hero ball in ministry. Sacrificial generosity isn't a way for us to pat ourselves on the back. It's a way to simply love God, minister to God. In his humility, he will allow us to take care of him by taking care of people. It's such a weird concept to me. He will allow us to serve him and take care of him by taking care of the least of these, he identifies deeply and personally to his people, to that extent. And uh, the funny thing is, I think it's a cool story, but I don't think it's very impressive. The reason why I don't think it's very impressive is because parents know, family people know, and people who've been doing ministry for decades know that it's easier to sacrifice and generosity, and be hospitable to people radically for a moment in time. It is difficult to do it to the same person for decades on straight. And I believe we're called to walk this out. To give our lives to the way of Yeshua, of Jesus, and sacrificial generosity and sacrificial hospitality. And um, the reason why I talk about the whole intimate thing and the pet name thing is because, and I love this other phrase, I think it comes from Bob, I don't know exactly the source, but we are called to operate out of the overflow. Radical, I know it's a taboo word right now, but sacrificial generosity and hospitality unto others is not very sacrificial and not very radical when we've received Christ. It doesn't compare. Our generosity and our hospitality 
should be easy when we've received and just sat with the love of God. We are called to operate out of the overflow of his love, and it becomes easy. So I'm going to invite the worship team up real quick. And uh, it's a weird year. It's a weird way to enter 2021. Because a lot of things are shifting and a lot of things are being redefined right now. But very simply, I feel like God is taking me and taking us back into the very basics of what it means to be a church. Of what it means to look like Christ and be identified with the way. And so just want to invite us to stand real quick. I think in our own words, wherever you're at, in your own time with the Lord, I want us to, if this is you, to posture your hearts in a way and say, like, God, I'm giving myself to this in 2021. Giving myself to what it simply means to be identified as the way and no other way, no other denomination, and to accept the challenge and the call out of radical receiving of his love to be radical in generosity to others. Church, I, I think we should not be surprised when broken people come to us. We should not be surprised when people who don't have common social sense, we, we should not be surprised when there are very broken, mean, weak, poor people who come to us in this year who don't know Christ, it should not surprise us. But it's in those moments where I want to challenge us to ask the Lord, like, God, is this the next Saul? Is this the next Paul of your kingdom? How do you want me to love this person? How do you want me to identify with this person? How, what does it look like to give radically and generously to this person? Just a, in a minute, we're just going to take time to really commit to this if this is you. If not, no problem. Just want to give us a time to say, yes, this is how I want to move forward. This is how I want to build the kingdom in 2021. So just for a minute or so, let's just commit ourselves to this if this is you. Any New Year resolution begins with an inward revolution. Let's begin that revolution in our heart. Lord, you can use us. So yeah, let's just go into it for a minute or so. Let's just resolve in our hearts to be set apart for this, to be a part of his way, his truth. We want to be the church, God. We want to walk with you. We want to be radically obedient to you, God. Teach us, Lord. Teach us, God, how to walk with you. Teach us how to love like you. Show us how to love like you. Show us how to be generous the way you're generous. Show us how to love people like you love them. 
commit this time to you. We commit this year to you. For this purpose, God, to be be a part of your call, to be a part of your family, to be a part of your way, the way that you want to do it.